Continuing our uh, series through the book of James, and so if you have your Bible and you would like to get a head start, you can turn with me to James chapter 1, and we're going to look in verse number 13 in just a few moments, and so while you're turning there, there's this great story about um, a middle school, there's some girls in the middle school, and they discovered lipstick, and so they started putting on lipstick every day, and they would go into the bathroom, the girls' bathroom, and uh, after they put the lipstick on you, they would all press their lips up against the mirror in the bathroom. Now, as you can imagine, it, it drove the custodian nuts because he had to clean it up every day. And so they would tell the girls, don't put your lips on the mirror like that anymore, but they kept on doing it. And so finally, uh, finally the, the principal said, we've got to do something about this. And so they called all the girls in. He had met with the prince, or met with the custodian. They came up with the plan. Girls all came into the bathroom. And so the principal just said, listen, when y'all do this, it creates just more work for our custodian. And I want y'all to see what he has to do to clean the mirror. And so the custodian got this long-handled brush, and he went over to the toilet and put it in the water and then walked over to the mirror and started scraping the lipstick off. Now, as you can imagine... Uh, nobody ever put their lips on that mirror again. Now, today we're talking about temptation. And in a similar sense to those girls in middle school, there's some stuff that looks like it's kind of fun and looks like it's just kind of interesting and we ought to be all be participating in it. But when it comes down to it, the, in the end, man, a lot of times it's just not as fun as we think that it looks. Now, we all are tempted. I mean, temptation is normal in life. And the Bible tells us this. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse number 13, it begins by saying, but when you are tempted. It doesn't say if you are tempted. It says when you are tempted. And so there's not a sin in experiencing temptation. Where the sin comes into play is when we give into it. When we decide to go after what is tempting us. Now, the rest of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. It says, God will also provide a way out of temptation so that you can stand up under it. And so today, as we continue our, our study through the book of James, we're going to be looking to see when temptation comes our way, how can we deal with it? And, you know, and not just deal with it, but how can we deal with the things that tempt us in a biblical way? Uh, to deal with it in such a way that when it's all through, that we can say, you know what? God will be pleased with the way that I handled this situation. And one of my favorite things about the book of James is it's just real practical. I mean, it's very easy to read through the book of James and not feel like that you're confused because you're, you can't figure out what point he's trying to get across. Very blunt, very direct, and he points out some practical ways today in our text about how we can deal with temptation biblically. And so we're going to look in verse number 13 in just a few moments. Uh, just a little background information. Remember James was writing to Christians who were scattered all throughout the ancient Roman Empire. And they were scattered throughout the Roman ancient empire because of persecution. Uh, not long before, you might remember one of the church leaders, a guy named Stephen in Jerusalem, was stoned to death. They, you know, they killed him. And so the Christians, seeing this, were thinking, this is not good. 
you know, they're going to be coming after us. And so those Christians, they, they, dis, they dispersed and left and went all throughout the ancient Roman Empire. Now, whenever you move into a new country or move into a new area, what happens? Well, you're an outsider, right? I mean, you, you don't always necessarily have the same cultural background, the same beliefs as the people you were living with. And so some of the people, some of the Christians that were living there, they were like, we've got to fit in with, this peop- with these people. Even if it means that we sacrifice some of the beliefs that we have, some of the faith matters that we hang on to. And I look at these people and I think, you know what, in a, in a very real sense, we're in a similar situation. Not that we're undergoing physical persecution like they do, but there's many of us and we, we want to fit in with the people that we're around. And you know, some of them might not hold the same beliefs and same of the, some of the same doctrines that we hold on to, and so many times we will let our faith slide with our co-workers, with our, co, you know, with our fellow students, just so that we can fit in. And so James is saying, don't fall into that temptation, but instead hang on to your faith, hang on to what God teaches. And so the big practical question is, well, how do I do that? You know, if I'm, if I'm living in a place where I'm struggling, where I'm having temptations, how do I hang on to my faith? and battle against temptation. And the good news is James is very practical. He shows us how. And he shares with us just a few typical, or a few tips actually about how to deal with temptation. And the very first thing that he teaches us is this. Don't play the blame game. Whenever you're experiencing temptation, says don't, don't, don't play the blame game when you fall into it that it's somebody else's fault. Uh, look what he writes in verse number 13. He says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Now here's what I've noticed about people in general when we mess up. When we mess up and we get caught, we typically always have an excuse for it. Well, you know, this happened, I know that that I got caught doing this, but there's a reason why I was doing it. It's because of what this person did. And so we begin to play this blame game. You know, I am responding like a jerk because of you. It has nothing to do with me, it's all about you. Uh, And believe it or not, there are times when I get caught in the blame game as well. Now, I've shared with you all before, and this is not, I'm not saying that I'm proud of this. I don't do this, I really don't do this much anymore. But when I drive, I've, I've had a tendency to drive a little faster than I should. And so over the years, I have had a number of speeding tickets. And I still remember one in particular that really kind of irritated me as I was driving along, and I was in the middle of a pack. And uh, there's people in front of me going fast, and people behind me were kind of pushing me, so I felt like to survive, I just needed to kind of go with the flow, you know? So y'all understand this, right? So this is a good excuse. And so I'm driving along, and a policeman comes up. I see him flying up, and I'm thinking, well, the guy in front is in trouble. Well, he comes in and pulls in behind me, and he pulls me over. Now, I'm totally frustrated. I'm like, why is he pulling me over? And so he comes up to the window, and, of course, I was nice to him. I was like, why? the guys in front of me were going faster than me, and the people behind me were pushing me. I was just, like, caught. And you know, so I had this excuse And, of course, the policeman, because he is so wise, uh, said, you know, he goes, to me, it's a lot like fishing. And he said, and you just happen to be the one I caught. 
Now, I had no excuses. I was guilty. But you know, my first instinct was to come up with an excuse. Now, y'all, this has been going on since the beginning of time. With Adam and Eve, you go all the way back into Genesis, you know, Genesis chapter what, 2 and 3, and you will see that God gave them instructions. God says, this is the Garden of Eden. It's all yours. What did God tell them was the one thing they could not do? Remember? Yeah, don't mess with this one tree. What did Adam and Eve do? They messed with the one tree. And, you know, and I read that thing, man, those people are so dumb. You know, and we do the same thing. And so God comes and he confronts them about what they've done. He comes to Adam and listen to what Adam says to God in Genesis 3.12. Here's what Adam says. He says, Lord, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. It's almost like he's like, oh, I was totally surprised. You know, she had this fruit, and she just came up to me and gave it to me. God, it's your fault because you made her, and then she made me eat the fruit. So he comes up with an excuse. Now, Eve doesn't fare much better. And so God asked her, basically, hey, what's going on, Eve? What would you do? What's her excuse? She said, there was a serpent that was in the garden, and he tricked me. And so from the very beginning, any time we are faced with temptation and we fall into it, our natural instinct is to begin to play the blame game. Not my fault, somebody else's fault. But we can never overcome that if we are not willing to take personal responsibility because whenever we don't take personal responsibility, what we're doing is we're giving ourselves a free pass to live like we want to and say, I'm living this way because of that person. And so it's not my fault. Now, in our text today, James is saying, listen, you're not getting a free pass here. You need to understand that there's, a, there's such a thing that is called personal responsibility. And I look at that and I think, man, this is right up our alley today in our society. There is a teaching today that there's no such thing as personal responsibility. You know, it's somebody else's responsibility to take care of me. It's somebody else's responsibility for the problems that I have. It's not my fault. What does James say? Well, you go and you look in verse number 14, and James tells us who's responsible. James says, you are responsible for the way that you live. He says, when you are tempted and you are drawn away and you begin to go after your own temptations, he says, guess whose fault that is? It's yours. If you look in verse number 14, y'all get to answer this one. What is it that draws us away to follow after the temptations that are before us? See what it says in verse 14? Maybe you don't. What does it say? Yeah, it's your own evil desires. Whose desires is it? It's yours. It's not your mother's or your father's. It's not your, your wife or your husband's. It says you were drawn away by your own evil desires. Now, the sin is not in being tempted. The sin is acting on the temptation. And James says don't blame it on somebody else. Now, what's the benefit of not blaming it on somebody else? Well, you, you're, you're being responsible. You also come to a place where you begin to understand I'm going to be held accountable. Who are we going to be held accountable by? You know, this is a scary one. God. Every action, the way you and I live, we will be held accountable by God. Uh, Romans uh, 14, 10 through 12 says, For we will all stand before the tribunal of God. For it's written, 
As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will give praise to God, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. When I know that I'm going to be held accountable for something, here's what I've noticed about myself. I perform better. Y'all the same way? When you know you're going to be held accountable, you perform better. There's a, a study that was done a number of years ago in an electrical engineering plant. Called, they, called, they end up calling it the Hawthorne, a Hawthorne effect. And they're trying to improve worker conditions. So they said, if we have better lighting, people will work better. Put in better lighting. They, wa- they stood behind glass and watched the workers work. The, uh, the work productivity increased a little bit. So then they, they came out from behind the glass, and they walked amongst the workers, and were watching them work, had their notepads, and the work, worker productivity skyrocketed. And they kept doing this, and over a, while, over a period of time, they started thinking, I don't think it's the lighting. And they started thinking, I think it's because we're out here watching them. Now, that didn't take rocket science to figure that out because we're all the same way. I mean, just as a kid, I still remember whenever my dad would have us go out and, and weed the flower bed. I always did a better job when dad was watching me. Uh, when he was not watching me, I didn't do as good of a job. So when you're going to be held accountable, you do a better job. Now, what's the point of all of this? God is watching us. Do you know that? And so that should motivate us as we live to, be, to understand we're going to be held accountable. And so let's live in a way that pleases God. So how do we deal with temptation biblically? James says, don't play the blame game. You're responsible. You will be held accountable. Not anybody else, just you and me. Now, how else do we deal with temptation? Well, this is a simple one. Verse 15 basically is telling us you run from it. Run from temptation before it starts running you. Run from it. Now, look with me in verse number 15. It says, and after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Now, the temptation being referred to here is speaking of sexual temptation. That word desire, another word that you can use, uh, that can be used to translate this, is the word lust. And there's no doubt this is still applicable for us today. Uh, We live in a culture that sexualizes everything. Right? I mean, if you don't believe that, yeah, we sexualize hamburgers. I mean, seriously, how? That's incredible. Watch a Hardee's commercial. I mean, you watch the Hardee's commercial and think, I need to get that burger. I mean, you know, that we sexualize everything. It's absolutely ridiculous in how we do that kind of stuff. Now, James says, whenever a temptation is put before you, and he's speaking of lust here, and of course anything else, you know what James says? He says, don't, don't hang around it. Don't linger around that temptation, because if you do, it will suck you in. And he uses birth as an analogy. He says, whenever that temptation is before you and you hang around it, he said, what happens is it will be conceived inside of you. What happens after conception? Birth. Now, what happens after birth? Well, the child begins to mature and grow up. Let me tell you something. Sin that is conceived, is delivered, and matures in your life is ugly. And it will destroy you. When it grows up inside of you, it will wipe out your life. So the Bible tells us. Romans 3.23, or 6.23, the Apostle Paul said, the wages, the maturity of sin in your life is what? It is death. Now the good news for followers of Jesus is that we can have freedom over the penalty of sin. 
But just because we have freedom over the penalty of sin does not mean that we have a free pass card, meaning we can live any way that we want to. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, I know I'm doing this, I'm not supposed to be doing this, but I'm already a follower of Jesus, so I'm covered. You know, I got my fire insurance card, so I can, I can do some things that are not, you know, kosher, so to speak. I can do those kinds of things, but I'm already in God's family. Now, it's true you can be in God's family and still sin. But, you know, let me try, let me try to put it on this. Uh, let me try to explain it to you like this. In your family, and I'm sure many of you grew up very similar, similar kind of family that I had. Just because you were a member of your family did it mean that you could do whatever you wanted to as a kid? You know, well, you know, my parents, they're always going to be my parents. So yes, I can take their car out at the age of 12 and drive it all over the neighborhood. I mean, does that work? That doesn't work. If your family was like my family, my, my parents expected me to live a certain way. Now, that didn't mean that they could ever disown me, but they expected me to live up to certain standards because I was in their family. God is the same way. When we are in his family, he expects us to live and to be like him. Now, what happens if we're continually disobedient? Well, think about that in your own family. As a child, if you were continually disobedient to your mom and dad, what happened? Did they just say, well, that's just the way they are. They'll always be my kid. I can tell you what, I can tell you what most of your parents did. They tore your tail up. I still remember, and my mom's here for this one. I still remember whenever I was at my grandparents' house in Texas and my mother told me to do something, I don't know, for the umpteenth time. Y'all know how mothers are. You know, they always tell you to do stuff over and over again. And I was like 14 years old, and I, you know, I was thinking, I'm like, I'm, I'm a grown man. You know, I'm 14. I'm going to be, I get my permit next year. And so my mom told me to do something. And I remember it was something along these lines, and mom could probably tell it. It's probably worse than it actually was. She told me what to do. And I just remember my response was something along the lines of, you know, I'm not doing it. You know, I mean, basically, you can do it yourself. Now, what I did not know is my dad was right behind me. And so within two seconds, dad's in front of me, and I thought I was going to die. Now, when my mom told me to do it again, guess what I did? I did it. Now, there's something about whenever we begin to walk away from where we're supposed to be, our parents, they discipline, right? Now, why do they discipline? Other than the fact that they enjoy it. The parents discipline to get you back on the right track because they know if you go down that track too long, it's destruction. That's what God does. With his children, God, when we're walking away from him, God will discipline his children because he understands if we wander and stay away from him, then eventually what happens is we end up on a path of destruction. God gives us these warnings as, as a keep out sign. Don't go in this area because if you do, there is trouble there. So how do we deal with temptation? James 4, 7 through 8 says this. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. The word resist means to oppose. When, when temptation is put before you, you oppose it. You know, don't entertain it. You get away from it. You run from it. You are against it. And what happens? The Bible says the devil will flee from you. What does God do? He draws near. Now, if you decide to do the exact opposite, then it's God becomes more distant from you, and the devil draws close to you. And the devil, his realm is darkness. And you do not want to follow someone in darkness, because someone in darkness, man, they can't see where they're going. So the solution is you run away from darkness, you run into light. That's our natural instinct anyway. 
when, when we're in darkness and we see light, we go to light because we know that we can see that it's going to guide us. So in dealing with temptation, how do we deal with it? Don't play the blame game. We have responsibility. The second thing I see is you run from temptation before it runs you. You mess with temptation, guys, eventually it's going to get its, it's going to get its claws in you. And then the last one that I see today in our text about how to deal with temptation is you, you trust God. You trust God's instruction. Let me read to you our last uh, two verses, or three verses, verse number 16. James says, don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And with him there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. By his own choice, he gave us a new birth by the message of truth so that we would be the first fruits of his creatures. It is amazing to me the power that temptation has. And when people give into it, it is amazing how it destroys people. I have seen marriages, I've seen husbands and wives who lose their minds whenever they go after sin. And sharp people. And they go after temptations and they are willing to sacrifice their husband, their wife, their children, their jobs, their reputations to get something that will only bring them satisfaction for maybe a short time. We lose our mind. So when James says, don't be deceived. Now, how are we deceived? Go back to the very first sin in the Bible. Go back to the book of Genesis. How were Adam and Eve deceived? Remember the serpent, the devil? He said, God didn't really say that. He said, we can't, we can't mess with that tree over there. And he begins to cast doubt on God's word. God didn't really say that. That fruit over there looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Why would God keep something that looks so good for me? And they were deceived. They bit into it. What came about because of it? Death. He, he still, the devil still works the same way today. He, this over here, doesn't that look good? Yeah, God said we're not supposed to mess with that. Why would God tell you something that looks so fun? Why would he tell you not to have something like that? Why would he tell you not to mess with that? And that's all natural. But listen to what Paul warned us about in 2 Corinthians 11.3. He says, I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a complete and pure devotion to Christ. Here's a good reminder for us. Every good gift, according to our text today, it says it comes from above. It comes from God. Every good gift comes from God. Now, the devil offers to give us gifts all the time. You do this, you're going to have self-satisfaction, you're going to have joy, you're going to have wealth, you'll have everything that you need. He tells us that over and over again. He says, this is my gift to you. But guys, the devil never gives us a gift because ultimately we end up having to pay for it. You know, one thing I enjoy doing, I, love, I like to fish. I'm not any good at it, I, I really do, I enjoy fishing. And one of the fun things about fishing is, I, I think it's a, 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 just sort of fascinating, is that you get a lure and you're trying to trick a fish to going after a lure. Now, those lures, uh, some of the lures are incredible. They have a paint, the, the paint job makes them look just like a fish. Uh, some of the lures are called swim baits, and you know, they have joints in them. So when you're reeling them through the water, it really looks like they're swimming. And so the, the goal is that a predator fish will see that lure that looks so much like a real fish that he's going to go after it and he'll bite into it. Now, when he bites into that lure, is that fish satisfied? Does he say, man, that just, that hit the spot? He doesn't do that. Why? Because that lure is made out of plastic or balsa wood. Yes, you know, it doesn't taste good, and on top of that, it's got a hook in it. And so when he bites into it, he thinks it's going to be so good, but then all of a sudden he's hooked, and the one who's holding the, the reel, the rod and reels, he's reeling them in. That is exactly what the devil does to us. 
He puts something out there that looks so attractive, that looks so good, but y'all, it's not real. It's not satisfying. It's not going to fulfill you. And if you bite into it, there's a hook there, and the devil's going to reel you in. Now, here's the deal about the devil. He's not a catch-and-release fisherman. He's going to reel you in in order to kill you. John 10.10 says that the thief, the devil, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So James tells us, he says, there's a lot of lures out there, a lot of temptations out there. The devil says it's going to give you fulfillment. So don't go after those things. So follow God. What does God do? It says God gives us a new birth, a new nature, which we need because in our own nature, our human nature is to defy God and to go after God junk. God says, you follow me, I will give you a new heart. I'll give you a new nature. And you will follow the things that I put before you. See, that new nature gives us a right standing with God. Now, now what's the payout with God? It's life. God gives us life. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, but God, who's rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were what? We were dead in our trespasses, he says, you are saved by grace. How do we have a new nature? We trust in the leadership of Jesus. How do we have life? We follow the instructions of God's word. And a part of that is to deal with the temptations that everybody in this room today is going to face. How do we deal with temptations? Don't play the blame game. You run from temptation before it runs you, and you trust God's instruction. Now, some of you might say, you know what, I have already been hooked by some temptations. And they are, I'm getting reeled in right now. What do I do? Here's a good thing. God can cut the line. Think about fishing. You're being reeled in, God can cut the line for you. We're told in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what will God do? God will add all of these good things to your life. God can rescue you. And I really think there's, it's time for some of us, we have temptations that we are battling with, and it's time for you to lay them aside. Say, God, I'm being tempted in this area. God, this is an area that I've given into. Let me encourage you today to tell God that. And just lay it before him and say, God, I am being reeled in. God, give me freedom. I'm tired of being jerked around. I want to experience your freedom. Some of you here today, you need to begin that process by giving yourself to Jesus. I mean, where you actually make a commitment to the Lord. Not just talk about it. Y'all, it's so easy. I, like to, I can make these commitments to people without really being committed. They think I'm being committed, but I'm really not. Hey, are you going to do such and such? Hey, I'll think about that. You know, and just kind of walk off. Now, I'm not talking about that with God. I don't want y'all being here today and you say, yeah, you know, I'll think about that. I'm talking about where you say, you know what, God, I'm going to surrender to you. Now, I'm not just going to think about it. Let me, let me just weigh this out. I'm talking about where you say, I am choosing. I'm choosing Jesus today. And some of you need to choose today. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That kind of choosing. And so when we bow our heads, some of you have never done that before. Maybe you've just sort of skirted around the edge your whole life. Well, let me challenge you to choose Jesus today. So how do I do that? When we bow our heads, you can talk to God in prayer. You can talk to him silently. To, you know, he can hear you. Hey, Jesus, I'm, I'm choosing you. God, I, I ask that you forgive me, that you be the Lord and Savior of my life. I believe in you. 